Good morning, Reach Church. Those kids can head out with Miss Katie for Reach Kids. And before we start, um, I wanted to acknowledge uh, Bill and Amy. If you guys want to stand up. We had a wedding this past Sunday. So this is Mr. and Mrs. (laughs) Bill and Amy. (laughs) So uh, congratulations. There's actually a card out back if you want to sign that. Um, And so pray for them as they begin their new marriage together. Uh, God bless you guys. (laughs) All right. And uh, join me in prayer. Let's pray. Father, I think of that last song, and that is um, a difficult song to sing in all honesty. That we, we long to sing, that we can abandon our whole life and our whole hearts to you. But Father, um, we struggle to do that. And, and our hearts hold us back. And so, Father, would you use um, this text, this, this Sunday, this uh, worship time, that we may say that with greater honesty, that we can sing with all of our hearts and all of our souls and all of our strength and, and all of our mind that we may worship you and enjoy you and enjoy you in Christ. Father, uh, open our hearts and our eyes by your Holy Spirit and use your word that it may not come back to you void. Father, glorify your name, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so... Uh, we are continuing in our series, The Songs of Christmas. So we're looking at uh, the various songs that the, the characters, and you could call characters, the people, the historical figures in the Gospel of Luke, how they are filled with the Spirit and they sing out and they praise our Lord and God. And today we are looking at Zechariah's prophetic song. Not, not pathetic song, prophetic. Prophetic song. Um, <laughs> it's, a ha- it's actually a pretty happy song. Um, but we can, we can rush there too soon. That this song only comes at the end of a very long story. And this, this whole story is not just this song. And so if we, if we isolate it and look just at the song, it would kind of um, be triumphalistic or, or misleading about what the Christian life actually is. We're going to see that Zechariah's life started with, with sorrow. It started with doubt. It started with, with silence. His heart was not singing in the beginning. And we're going to see how God actually comes to this man and gives him a song to sing, relates him to the story of salvation, the story of, of redemption and the resurrection of Christ, and how as a result, he, he transitions. He transitions from doubt and silence to faith, and to singing and praise. And the hope is that we might kind of join him in that transition. Because the reality is that uh, we're, not, we're not singing as we should this morning. I'm, I'm betting. I was listening to you, and we, we could sing. We could sing with hearts full of, of more joy that God has done more for us than our singing reflects at this moment. And so let's, let's look at how God meets Zechariah and brings him to the place of, of joyful singing over salvation. We're start off uh, in Luke 1, verse 5. Luke 1, verse 5. I'm not going to read the whole thing because that's going to be way too long. So I'm going to read it as we go. So keep your Bibles open and we will walk through this together. All right, so let's start with Luke 1, 
verses uh, 5 and 6. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. All right, so we're starting with, with a good guy. This is a good, upstanding, upright guy. Um, we're probably not going to be described like this ever in our lives. That we are blameless and, and righteous before God. These are people who are doing as, as good as you can possibly do in the Christian life, in the, I guess, the, the Jewish faith. They're doing really well. He's a priest. He's married to a woman who is of the, the tribe of the priest. They're, they're doing a great job. They're doing as much as they can, but, but they still are not singing a song. They're still weeping like that. They're still, they're still upset because, because verse 7, they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. So there's an enemy in the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth that barrenness has come upon them and therefore they cannot sing. They don't have this joyful song in their hearts. Um, they aren't erupting with praise. And the reality is that this, this sorrow, we, we kind of glance over it and go a little bit too quickly. But if you look at that, they're both advanced in years. This is something they've been struggling with their whole lives. And we kind of pop in at the, at the end of the story, forgetting that for the, for the majority of their life, this is their sorrow. This is their reality. And the fact is that, that sorrow is, even for the upright and the blameless and the righteous, that is a fact of the, of the Christian experience. It's that suffering is present and it is, it is lingering and it is long. We think about the fact that, we, think, we talk about the Exodus and how great the Exodus was. For 300 years, there were people who were just enslaved in Egypt. That's their only experience. They didn't see the Exodus. They only saw the suffering. And that's where, that's where Zechariah is at this point. He's been praying for a long time. He's been hoping for a long time. And nothing has happened yet. It's the story of sorrow. This is, there's no song in their heart. But, but, the answer comes. The answer comes, verse 8. Now, while he was serving as priest before God... When his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before them in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. 
Zechariah was praying and his prayer has been answered. He's going to get his son and he's not just going to get any son, he's going to get a son that is great before the Lord. That has the honor of honors to, to usher in the savior of the world. John the Baptist. The final of the prophets because after that there is no need for prophets because the true savior has come. That he would be the last and he would gather the people of God back to himself. Back to God. And he would usher in salvation. And the angel says, okay, then there'll be much joy and gladness and rejoicing in all of Israel because of this. This is really good news. And we have to remember that it's the good news of God that actually changes the story. That this is a sorrow that they weren't going to work through. You're not supposed to muster out of this kind of sorrow. No, you, you get this kind of joy and gladness because God works. If God doesn't work, that sorrow remains. And so God says God will work. He will give them the joy that they need. He will put the song in their heart. And how does Zechariah, Zechariah respond? Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. So Zechariah does not start joyfully singing. He does not celebrate. There is no joy. He initially starts with a question. And the question is essentially, how could this possibly happen? How could, it, how could this be that this is what is going to happen? Uh, and he has a reason for it. He gives his reason. His reason is he's looking. He's looking at the, at the raw material here that God has to work with. And he looks down and then, I am an old man. And he's thinking of his wife. She's an old woman. The raw ingredients here are not very good. All right. When we hear the promises of God, we often do the same thing. We look at the raw materials. So he says, he says to us, you're, you're going to be free from sin. And we look at ourselves and say, I've been a sinner a long time. I don't think I'm going to be free from sin. Or, or he says that, that your relationships will be reconciled. The restoration and forgiveness. And you look and say, you haven't seen my marriage in a long time. Or you haven't seen the relationships I have with my kids. The relationships that I have with my siblings. We look at the raw material and we, and we doubt. He says, you will have great joy. Joy everlasting. And we look at our lives and we look at the sorrows and we say, how could this ever be made up for? How could joy come from this life? We look at the raw material. And so we ask, I ask you now, like, what are you hoping for? What are you praying for? And do you have the, do you doubt that it'll actually ever happen? Do you have these hopes for looking at the raw material and you see the, the distance and the gap here and there's no hope? That's where Zechariah is right now. And that's what we call living by sight and not by faith. 
living by sight and not by faith. That he's, he's prayed to God and now that God has actually come, he recognizes he didn't actually believe that God could intervene. That God could have done anything from the get-go. And so, in spite of this good news, Zechariah is not joyful. He does not praise. He is not singing his song. And this angel, this messenger, he assesses the situation for us. Verse 19. The angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. Now you can hear Gabriel's frustration here. And it's not sinful. It's, it's, he's, he's in disbelief that this guy is, is so hard. That he has stood before the Lord. That he has come to bring this great message and it's received like it's dirt. And he's baffled by this. I came to bring you good news and you did not receive it as good news. And then he assesses what, what the reality is. Verse 20. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words which will be fulfilled in their time. So his assessment is that this question, this was unbelief. This was doubt in his heart. That it wasn't really the circumstances that were bringing sorrow. It was, it was doubt that God could ever do anything. That was bringing him a greater sorrow than, than he could imagine. And he's saying that as a result, he's going to be silenced. He's going to be silenced. He is not going to speak again until the day of fulfillment. Verse 21. The people were waiting for Zechariah. They were wondering at his delay in the temple and when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. He kept making signs to them and remained mute. When his time of service was ended, he went to his home. So for his doubt, for his unbelief, Zechariah was silenced. He was silenced. Now what do we do with that? That he was silenced in his unbelief. We don't like that. We don't like that. And, and you probably have a bunch of reasons you don't like that. First of all, like, he was just asking a question, right? Why is it, why is it that he is condemned for asking a question? Mary asked the same question, uh, almost exactly the same question. And what does she get? She gets a, an explanation of how the Holy Spirit's going to come upon her, that even though she's a virgin, God's going to come. Don't really worry about it. He's given a full explanation. And here, Zechariah is silenced. All right, what do we do with this? First thing, first thing I want, I want to make. Um, I used to feel like I needed to defend God in this moment. Feel like I needed to be like, well, no, like God was looking at his heart. It was more unbelieving than Mary's. Um, but I can't, I can't say that. I can't say that. The only thing I can say is that, that that's how God chose to do it. And that's where we're not dealing with God as a rule book or a playbook or a... He's not a, he's not a systems chart. That God is a personal God. 
And he deals with us as, as people. And Zechariah is not the same as Mary. And so God is not held to some standard that, oh, if you have a certain amount of unbelief, then you need to be silenced. No, it's that Zechariah needed to be silenced. Mary did not. And we have to accept that God treats us differently. And that God does what he sees fit. And we can't nail him down as much as we'd like to. That makes God kind of scary, but at least you know that God is giving you exactly what is right for you. And so we have to accept that sometimes God silences and sometimes God answers in a very clear and distinct way. God is personal. And he's personal here. Second thing I want us to think about is that because of that, this is not the only way that God deals with doubt. That'd be very unfortunate if the only way that God deals with doubt is by silencing it. No, sometimes he speaks right into it like he did with Mary. Think of, of doubting Thomas. What does Jesus tell him to do? He, put, put your hands in the holes. Touch the holes in my hands. Touch the holes. Yeah, you can feel the side too. There's a spear, a spear wound in there. He gives him very tangible evidence. But for Zechariah, he does silence him. So it, we can't nail God down. All right, and finally, finally, I think it's important for us to realize that Zechariah is silenced for a time. For a time. And he's silenced until the time of fulfillment. Until the time of fulfillment. So this is not saying, Zechariah, stuff all of your doubts. I think that's what we hear. We hear, oh, stuff your doubts. Don't doubt anything. How dare you question God? No, he's saying, Zechariah, wait. Wait and see. Analogy here, an analogy here. All right, let's see. There's a bunch of kids fighting. A bunch of kids fighting on the playground. One kid says he claims he can do a backflip. I can do a backflip. And all the other kids, you can't do a backflip. <laughs> I don't believe you. You can't do it. Now, they could go on fighting and fighting and fighting for weeks and weeks and weeks about this until the kid just says, I'm going to do it right now. I'm going to do my backflip. And then everyone is silent. Everyone is silent. And now they just have to wait. And the circle, the circle opens up, gives him a space to do his backflip. And then it becomes very clear who is right. No more arguing. Either he does it or he doesn't. Show me. That's what God is saying here. You know what, Zechariah? You have all of these doubts. You need to be silent and you need to wait and see. And when I've done it, then you can speak again. He's just protecting, in some way, Zechariah from being a fool. From claiming these things only to see that, that he was wrong. And that is one way that we are told to deal with doubt. We are told in our doubts to wait. And to wait and see. What is the Lord actually going to do? Can he give you joy? Can he reverse your sorrows? Can he restore Wait and see, and I'll show you.
And during that time, God is actually working in him. That he might have a greater joy because he was silent. And the amazing thing is that in spite of Zechariah's doubt, in spite of his questioning of God, God does it anyway. He does it anyway. Look at verse 24. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. And then we're going to jump a little bit, jump a little bit. Mary, Mary's visiting, all that stuff. Verse 57. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. The amazing thing is that God fulfills his promise anyway, in spite of the doubt. In spite of the doubt. That is the grace of God. God could have said, you know what? You doubted, I'm going to choose someone else. He had every prerogative to do that. We see that as, as the general rule is that if you doubt, you don't get the thing you pray for. That's what James tells us. But here he's saying, he's saying you know what, I'm going to do it anyway. And I do it to reverse your doubt. And because of your doubt and in spite of your doubt, that's the grace of God. And then later on, they start fighting about his name. What is this kid's name going to be? Verse 59. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child. And they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, no, he shall be called John. And they said to her, none of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. All right, the weird part of this is that Zechariah should already be, he should already be talking by now. Presumably, the child has come about, the child has been born. This is John the Baptist. Well, sort of. Not yet. And he's still silent at this point. Then verse 63. He asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors and all these heard were talked through all the hill country of Judea and all who heard them laid them up in their hearts saying, what then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. Now the time of fulfillment when the judgment of silence was removed, it waited until, until Zechariah agreed that this child was named John. Now, why is it so important that he acknowledge that this is John? First of all, he could have denied it. He could have called him Zechariah and gone on like this is just a coincidence. We think, well, no, he could never do that. No, he could. We all do that. We see the, the gifts of God, the blessings of God, and we call them by another name and we, we go on with our day. No, he needed to see that this is God's fulfillment. And God was not going to let him off the hook until he saw that. But it all circles around the name. The name. The name John. What does John mean? I don't expect you to know. I'm kidding. John, John is... John is God is gracious. God is gracious.
gracious. And until Zechariah could see that and agree that yes, God is gracious, God is merciful, God showed favor to me in spite of my doubt, in spite of my unbelief, he was not yet healed. That the unbelief was still in his heart, still polluting his song, until he was able to see that yes, God is gracious. That God was gracious to to ever have a relationship with him. That God was gracious to hear his prayer. That God was gracious to send a messenger to speak to him. That God was gracious to give him such a son. That God didn't take away the promise once he doubted it. That God kept being gracious and gracious and gracious. And when John saw that, he was healed. Because now he was ready to sing. You see the grace of God and you are ready to sing. You're given back your voice. Your, your tongue is loosed and you're able to sing once again. It's grace alone that can do that. If, you're, if your tongues are stuck, if you cannot sing, if you have no joy in your heart, it is grace alone that is going to loose your heart, loose your, loose your tongue, break your heart, open your eyes. It is grace that we sing. And what does he sing? Look at what he sings. Verse 67. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited his people and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of the servant David, as he has spoken by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. All right, it was initially bothering me that this was the song. Because it seems like a total non sequitur for his song. He doesn't say anything about John the Baptist yet. He's not singing about, like, thank you, Lord, for this child. No, he's singing about a different child. He's, he's singing about Jesus. And I think that's actually, actually pretty helpful for us. That if, if Zechariah ended by just singing about how great it was that he had this child... It wouldn't do us that much of a service. Because that was a, a temporary solution to his sorrows. The, the Zechariah's true problem was not that he didn't have a son. That his sorrow was that he, he didn't trust in God. He didn't believe that God was truly gracious, that he could do the things that he could do. And if he just sung this song about, yeah, thank you, I have a child other sorrows would have come. The death would have come. Sickness would have come. They live in an oppression in, under slavery. It's, this is not a good time. This is not the ultimate sorrow. And that's where God uses this kind of microcosm, this kind of small story to show him the larger story of God's grace and God's redemption and God's salvation. It's not about him getting his son, it's about the restoration of the world. And the fact that God fulfilled this one promise points him forward to the bigger promise. 
from of old to all of the prophets, to all of the people, that God would come and he would buy back his people who were sold into sin. And he would deliver them, he would redeem them, he would restore them. That's the point. Anything God has been faithful with in, in, in your life, in your everyday life, is to point you towards that promise. The promise that God would come and God would deal with sin and he would deal with sorrow and he would deal with death once and for all. That he would defeat those enemies, the real enemies. Even the doubts and the fears and the sin that is in our hearts. Those are the real enemies. Barrenness was not the enemy here. It was sin and death. And in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone, those things are defeated. And he's able to see that and he's able to sing about it. And then he goes on. Uh, actually, one thing, one thing about that. What, what tense is this in? What tense is this in? It's already happened. He's singing about it like it's already happened. It's already done. And Jesus hasn't died on the cross yet. He hasn't really defeated the enemies. That Zechariah is so sure now, this man who is filled with such doubt and such fear is now filled with a certainty that God, God has already done it in his eyes. That salvation has already come. Jesus has already died and been resurrected. The victory is already his. That's the turnaround. That's the difference between this man as he began and as he finishes. And he goes on. He goes on and talks about why God did this. Why did God save his people? Verse 72. To show the mercy promised to our fathers. Because he is gracious, he, he proves it. And to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham. He's not doubting anymore. He's looking at the covenant and he's saying, no, God had to do this. He promised that he would do it and he did it.